while police photographing our license plate. What are we doing for veterans returning home damaged physically and mentally, suffering from depression, homelessness, and suicide? Why did the Supreme Court deposit corporate money into our electoral process? Should we redefine middle class as working poor? Or is it just another Wall Street merger? What's really behind new voter picture ID laws in certain states? Why aren't NBC, ABC, CBS, and Fox asking these questions? Welcome to the Reasonable Voice radio show. I'm your host, Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice. The mission of the Reasonable Voice is to connect the dots between politics and finance, the need for better and more affordable education, our humanity, world peace, and, of course, the arts, which we then gladly provide our listeners, the voting public, as informative food for thought to provoke their self-determination and appetite for equal economic opportunity and justice for all without truth decay. The Reasonable Voices are advocates prioritizing education, preserving our history, leading by example for a peaceful and prosperous world by evoking and embracing both creative artists and political unity as solutions to our challenges. Good day and welcome to the Reasonable Voices News Talk Radio Program. I'm your host, Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice. In keeping with the ongoing but hopefully given recent news of relaxing mask wearing and restrictions on social distancing and reopening much of America's businesses, our team of the Reasonable Voices is launching a new series focusing primarily on artistic guests of every discipline in the arts to share their experiences both professionally and personally concerning their personal and emotional life and professional career pursuits before, during, and now hopefully after a global pandemic. Our reasonable voice today is actor Rainer Schein, who long before we met working together in Steven Spielberg's Lincoln, Rainer appeared in films for three decades, dating back to 1979, including three of my favorite films, My Cousin Vinny with Marissa Torme and Joe Pesci, Fried Green Tomatoes with Cecily Tyson and Jessica Tandy, and Last Man Standing with Christopher Walken and Bruce Willis and a film I've never seen, but it stars one of my favorite actors, Robin Williams, Man of the Year. Rayner has also voiced a number of video games, which is something I didn't even know about until this week. Mr. Shine has also appeared in many of the longest-running hit TV shows, including Law and Order in 2007, Deadwood in 2004, and one of my favorite episodes of my absolute favorite TV series of all time, The West Wing, in Excelsis Deo in 1999. I really want to ask him about that. And for the next 30 minutes, we're going to talk about as much of his long and varied career as we can manage to fit into the next half hour. Rain or shine, my friend, Welcome to The Reasonable Voices, and how are you today? I'm fine, thank you. I'm doing just well in this uh, retirement I'm in. Ah, yes. Ah, yes. Well, you've earned it. I mean, it's been, it was a long haul, and I'm glad to hear things are somewhat more relaxed for you, let's put it that way. But first, would you like to share with us the idea behind your name and how you became Rain or Shine? Well, uh... My mother's maiden name was Rainer, 
she was uh, born uh, Margaret Rayner, and uh, so she named me Rayner. And uh, the shine just came on my union card. <laughs> I see. Very good. Uh, it's spelled a little differently, but it is a sort of play on the rain or shine because you certainly are that kind of actor. Rain or shine, you're there. And, yeah, I had uh, a common last name that nobody would remember, so I changed it. <laughs> okay. Now, I was uh, born born Rainer Snow. Ah, okay. All right. I knew that, but I hadn't heard it because you know <laughs> every, everybody calls you Rain or Shine, and that's all I how I've known you. But anyway, now Rainer. I know you had retired before COVID hit, you know, last March 2020, but are you aware of other actors uh, you've worked with and how life in the business has fared for other actors as well as things that, how it affected you for that matter? Well, uh, after I worked with many years ago when I was working with uh, Shel Silverstein, the famous cartoonist, mm -hmm. he... Uh, he caught the uh, COVID and uh, passed away. It, it took him away. Oh, God. And I was so sorry to hear that. I but know. he's the only one I know that was taken with the COVID. Were you, were you able to work at all, or or had you just totally retired before it really hit? Oh, I, I totally retired. Uh, you know, my agent uh, in California calls me about once or twice a year, asks would I be interested in this, that, or the other, and I say, no, i got to i got to walk the dogs twice a day. <laughs> How many dogs do you have? Well, we had two. We just lost one uh, to cancer recently, uh, but uh, he's, he's still still uh, a ghost in the house here. Sure, I understand that. I can relate to that for sure. I, um, I of course, mentioned several of your television appearances and my favorite films in which you appeared, but besides a few personal telephone calls, I didn't... I don't think we've ever talked about the roles you played on Broadway, perhaps most notably two plays by August Wilson. Well, that was uh, the, my favorite part of my whole career was uh, working with August Wilson, and, and on his plays, his writing was uh, just magnificent. And uh, uh, I know one of his uh, plays I did, uh, I think, about 320 performances, and uh, the other one I did 300 and some performances as well. Wow. Uh, and... Uh, just never got tired of being in it or listening to it. An, an amazing playwright, to be sure. I know most most of our audience probably knows um, August Wilson's plays or his works from seeing them as films, like Fences and, of course, the incredibly famous now Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. But August Wilson is known as the theater's poet of black America. Also, he wrote The Pittsburgh Cycle. Can you tell us anything about how it was working with him as a white actor and uh, and the Pittsburgh. Well, all of these uh, plays were set in Pittsburgh except uh, Ma Rainey, which was set in Chicago. Yes. And uh, I had done uh, two of them on Broadway, but I'd, the third one, the only other one I could be in was Ma Rainey, and I was able to do that at the Kennedy Center a few years ago. Oh, wow. So I got, got all three that I could have done. Tell us and, about uh, the Kennedy Center. I didn't know you were there either. Yeah, they did all 10 of August's plays at the uh, Kennedy Center uh, about uh, 2008, I think. Uh -huh. It was a while ago. Oh, yes. I, re I remember. I just didn't know you were in them. Sorry. I would have come down. Yeah, I was there and uh, did uh, the three plays uh, I was in, and uh, it was a, a good time. Yes. I worked at the Kennedy Center. Um, I think prior to that, I directed, yes, I, that was back in the 90s, I think, I directed th three of the theaters there, the Concert Hall and the 
Opera House and the Terrace Theater. But I, I never, I never did anything in the Eisenhower, ironically. But in any case, and they've added, you know, more theaters since then. You know, when ahead. years ago uh, I worked for a music producer, and he produced jazz concerts at the Kennedy Center. Wow. And I would be there in between, you know, Chick Corea and Larry Coryell and different people, and uh, running and, and getting potato chips and Coke <laughs> or whatever they needed for them. Oh. And, uh, and uh, that was a, a very interesting uh, job I had briefly. Mm-hmm. I think that we were working in the Eisenhower. I think that's the theater we worked in. Oh, wow. Okay, well, we probably passed each other in the hall. Gee, isn't that something? That is well, so... this is back in the 70s. Oh, well, I, that's, that's a little before my time there anyway, I guess, yeah. I was there in the 90s, and then you came back in the 2000s. Oh, well, yeah. it's, it's still... I was there. I did uh, work at Arena Stage in uh, back in the 70s. What did you do there? Ago. Yeah. I did a, a play by the Gelder Road uh, called Pantaglaze. Yes. With, with Richard Bauer uh-huh. and uh, a number of great cast, Michael Tucker. There were some great people in it. Yeah. Wow. Well, most of us will know you from your film work, of course, because that's the, the one advantage I guess film has over theater is that it, it sticks around. We can go back and look at it, as I've been doing with your work this week, as I mentioned earlier. But Joe Turner's Come and Gone and Jim of the Ocean, and you were directed by August Wilson? Uh, no, he didn't direct. Uh, the first one, uh, Joe Turner, was directed by... Lloyd uh, Richards, who was head, dean of uh, drama at uh, Yale Repertory. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. And then uh, the second one, I was directed by Kenny Leon. And uh, and then I went out to L.A. and did Joe Turner out there with uh, Felicia Rashad directed it. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I, I just love doing uh, August's plays. Uh, in fact, I did Joe Turner in 1988 on Broadway. And... Uh, played a character called Rugerford Seelig. Mm-hmm. And uh, August apparently liked what I did because he wrote my character, Rugerford Seelig, in Jim of the Ocean, which I did in 2005 on Broadway. You know, so he brought my character back, and I'm the only only character that is in two of the plays. Wow. That's a great compliment. Well, uh, you know, I mean, but we we have to know that's true because you have worked so much in so many mediums uh, that um, it's got to be, you, you know, people who like your work, see your work, and want to work with you again. I'm sure that's repeated itself throughout your career. It's just an, an amazing, an amazing proof of uh, your talent. Besides the fact well, that I also worked with uh, Shel Silverstein. Now, people are not that familiar with his plays, uh-huh. but uh, he was writing me. Uh, I was in a little Shel Silverstein rep company, and he wrote, uh, put a lot of words in my mouth, uh-huh. and. We did his place, uh, I guess it's back in the 80s. And uh, one was called The Lady of the Tiger. That I started off doing it with Richard Dreyfus. Oh, wow. And, uh, it was a big hit. and uh, But it, I think it only ran 104 performances or something like that, 120. Where was that? That was, uh, we started Ensemble Studio Theater. Uh-huh. Uh, and then it moved to a bigger uh, off-Broadway theater. Very good. Richard Dreyfus, huh? I have a story about that, but I want to hear about Everyone wants to hear more about you than, I, than me, so let's let's um, inherit the wind, which is again one of my favorite films. But also, of course, it was a play before, and an amazing play about an amazing subject. What did you do in Inherit the Wind? Your character? Uh, I, I did 
did it in, I guess, 2006. That was the last thing I did in New York. And when the play closed, uh, I called the movers and said, uh, you know, take me home to Virginia. <laughs> and uh, uh, I, it, that was a joyful experience. And uh, Christopher Plummer and Brian Denny had the leads. And uh, Christopher Plummer just blew me away every night. He was so good and yes. was so in command of the lines and the theater. He was a great theater actor, and uh, Brian Denny, he was a great guy. Yes. And yeah. they, they both just passed recently. Yes, that's true. Uh, I miss them both. I mean, I just had seen for uh, second or third time uh, Knives Out with Christopher Plummer and just before he died, and it was just so... Uh, and, and Brian and I ran into each other every now and then in New York... Uh, Restaurants. We we seem to frequent the same places for dinner before and after a show from time to time. But um, I wonder, um, with all of this uh, Broadway background, and and you know, you mentioned Virginia. We should say, if you don't mind, where do you live in Virginia? Don't be too specific, but you know, I live out, right outside of Richmond. Yeah, uh, and I have a I have a place in Richmond that I spend part of the week. Uh huh. And yeah. uh, enjoy uh, going to the Virginia Museum, yeah. and uh, they have jazz on Thursdays, and and uh, uh, spend a lot of time at the Virginia Museum. Excellent. In fact, in fact, I did a play there many years ago. Oh yeah, what was it? I did uh, after Joe Turner closed on Broadway. They brought it down and did it at the Virginia Museum, and I did it there. Oh wow, very good. This was uh, about nineteen. Oh my goodness, ninety or something. To, it was in the nineties, I think. Yeah, interesting. I um, I, I live in Washington D.C., but I do have a home west of Charlottesville, as we go up the mountain there, and it's just a beautiful country. And 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 I get to Richmond from time to time. Anyway, what I wanted to oh, I know a movie that I, I can't. Say. <laughs> what what can I say about it? It's a movie that I got. Well, let's put it this way. I'll explain. When I need to relax, when it's been a challenging day, I'll play Risk on my computer and 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 kill everyone in the world. <laughs> that's how I relax, and that's my setup to a question to ask you: How was it working with Russell Crowe and Gene Hackman in The Quick and the Dead? Well, uh, that was uh, very interesting, and uh, Russell was a party animal, and. That, uh, a lot of people said that was a movie made on Red Bull. Yeah. Uh, everybody was sucking down Red Bull all day. Because <laughs> it was, you had a, you know, 20, 25 character actors all out there in Tucson, Arizona for three months. Yes. And so, and staying at the airport Holiday Inn. So <laughs> it was something. And of course, Leonardo DiCaprio was in it. He was. Oh, that's right. Yes. He was, I think, just 17 years old right then, but he was uh, great in the movie. I knew he was going to be a big star. Yes. After working with him in uh, The Quick and the Dead. And uh, Sharon Stone was one of the producers of it. Oh, yes, yes. And uh, it was, uh, I had some scenes cut out of it. One of them, I got pistol whipped by Sharon Stone, and I'm sorry I never saw that. It was cut out. <laughs> oh, that's too bad. <laughs> I'll bet she, <laughs> I'm sure she would have been good at that, too. But she was, she's so, every, everybody was just, just out there, you know, making it happen. You know, I'm, I know you know what I mean, but it was full because it's not necessarily a, a film that I would gravitate to. 
because it's you know everybody somebody's being shot in every other scene but it was so good and there was such talent in it including you uh, Russell and Woody Strode was in it. He was 80 oh. years old. It was his last job. Yeah, yeah, uh, you know. Woody Strode was in it, and uh, uh, fortunately, he and I were on it the longest. We were both on it for 12 weeks. Wow. And so I got to talk with Woody Strode. That's marvelous. You know, and uh, and as I was saying earlier, I don't know if I said it off air or, when, or once we started recording, but uh, you remind me, your career reminds me of the film I mentioned that uh, starring James Cagney years ago as a, as a kid I watched on black and white TV <laughs> but James Cagney was playing uh, Lon Chaney uh, as the man of a thousand faces and as much as I know what you look like and know who you are I have I have seen you in so many films in which I had to go wait a minute that, that's Rainer isn't it <laughs> because you have changed your appearance to fit that character. You're like you're all in, man. But the quick and oh, the that's dead. That's character actor. That's yeah, what they do. Exactly, exactly. Tell us about that. I'm glad you put it that way because uh, uh, most people, you know, in the business, we know what it means when we say a character actor. But but most people not in the business don't know what that means. Tell us, since it's clearly your approach to this business and your long career. What? Well, how do I'm you define? Not it? sure what a character actor is, but it, it's a. Uh, you know the secondary characters. You know it's not the, the the star. It's not the handsome star. It's the the desk clerk or the you know. It's that real the face. The doctor down the street. Yeah. You know, the, the the criminal guy. Yes, yes. The guy who gets killed in the second reel. Yeah. <laughs> yes, but they make a lasting impression. I mean, that's the thing, and I'm not just saying this because I know you. I I've been around doing this for a long time too, especially on the other side of the camera. I'm directing primarily, and when I see you and your your different roles, and uh, you know, cousin Vinny, which we'll get to in a second in the courtroom, and and of course how you stare down the ladies in Fried Green Tomatoes when they try to to con you you're not you're not going to be conned i mean you have the steely eyes and the the costume wait, wait a minute i'm not conned they, they killed a man <laughs> chopped him into a barbecue and fed him to me <laughs> and, and i said this is the best barbecue i ever ate that's right <laughs> you know and i yeah, wasn't I even going to break to uh, cecily tyson and she was the best thing in it. Cecily yes. Tyson was awesome in it. Yes, yes. She was uh, the secrets in the sauce. Well, listen, I know we're having a grand time, but I, I want to give, give us just a little bit of a break so we can uh, have a commercial here. We're going to be right back with Rainer Shine, amazing actor, and we haven't even gotten to the half of it yet. So stick around, stay with us for Rainer Shine, character actor and success on the screen, off the screen, on Broadway. Stay with us. We'll be right back with Rainer Shine. And now a special preview of Wildest Dreams, a new single by Mark Scabilia. Pacing through the dark in this cold apartment, I step out on the fire escape. I look at where we are and where we started and where we'd like to be someday. If this is as far as we get, if this is as high as we go, I will rest in peace, but I won't fall asleep, cause it's better than my wildest dreams. And it's 
Nothing like the world that we once imagined But doesn't it look beautiful And nothing lasts forever So whatever happened I just wanted you to know This is as far as we get This is as high as we go I will rest in peace But I won't fall asleep Cause it's better than my wildest dreams Oh, and I still don't know What lies ahead of you and me But tonight I won't close Fills up the room and the street starts singing a new song to another day. I'd sleep an hour or two, but our phones are ringing and I feel the rumble of the train. If this is as far as we get, if this is as high as we go, I will rest in peace. But I won't fall asleep Cause it's better than my wildest Welcome back to the Reasonable Voices News Talk radio program. I'm your host, Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice, and my guest today is good friend Rainer Schein, actor on Broadway and film and television. We have hardly scratched the surface. We're just we're talking about my favorites first, but Rainer Schein has been around for three decades at least. He's retired now, but he's done a great deal of work. And I'm just wondering, Rainer, who influenced your work? Who influenced you as an actor most, do you think? Well, so many uh, you know, f- famous character actors who played bad guys or whatever, uh, like uh, Strother Martin. He was one of my favorites. He was uh, one of the stars of Cool Hand Luke. Oh, yes. He, he had that uh, uh, line about what we have here is a failure, failure to, to communicate. Yes, yes. And uh, uh, one of his uh, partners in crime is L.Q. Jones. They were in uh, several movies together. And then uh, M. Emmett Walsh. Hmm. He was uh, uh, one of my favorite character actors. He did a million things. And, and uh, of course, Harry Dean Stanton. He became quite well known. Yes. But, uh, you know, these are the people that, uh, you know, would play the bad guy. I got killed in the middle of the movie. Or, but they were, you know, they were working actors. They worked, you know, steadily. Yes. Yes, much like yourself. They all had, had unique looks to them. And as do you. Tell me, what, what made you start out in act? Uh, you know, why did you, what happened that made you say, okay, I'm an actor, I'm going to be an actor, I am an actor? Uh, well, uh, one thing, there was uh, my brother dated a girl in high school. He was uh, quite a bit older. And uh, she went on to become quite famous. Her name was June Harding. And she was from my hometown in my same high school. And she was uh, starred in Trouble with Angels with Haley Mills. Oh. And uh, 
and she worked uh, on Broadway with Art Carney, and she had a couple of TV series. But uh, she did uh, like 10 years, and she was out. She she uh, retired and moved up to Maine hmm. and uh, built boats or something hmm. and painted. But uh, she hit it big for uh, about 10 years, and then uh, she, uh, I don't know what what possessed her, but she, she got tired of it like so many people. Yes, I guess. I, said, uh, I don't want to audition anymore. Yeah. There comes a point where they ought to send you the script without you having to audition anyway. But, but I, I, I hear her. I just, uh, I just don't know what I would do if I retired. I've got two dogs to walk. Maybe I'd do that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and grow vegetables. We're growing vegetables, and so how? Hope, well, hopefully, we'll get a nice crop this year. How how is growing vegetables in Richmond going? Are you is that a, a hobby for you guys? You enjoy? Kind of gives you a little peace of mind yeah or? we have tomatoes and broccoli that kind of thing and I, I grow peanuts on my front porch huh how does one grow peanuts tell me well you get some seed peanuts and you put them in the ground and put water on them like anything <laughs> but uh i was a uh, uh between jobs i was a peanut inspector for the department of agriculture at one time wow and uh they wanted me to go on tour with them because they start in florida with a citrus season and they grade sample and inspect uh, lemons and oranges and grapefruit, and then they come up through Georgia and they do peanuts in Georgia. Then they come to Virginia and they, you know, inspect peanuts in Virginia. And then they they wanted me to go with them to the Eastern Shore and do potatoes up in Delaware, but I uh, I said no. Um, I saved up eight hundred dollars and moved to New York. Good for you, good for you. Eight hundred dollars and moved to New York, and and uh, was and that... I was a peanut inspector. <laughs> I think my license. I had a license. I believe it was signed by Wilbur Mills. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah, it was during the Jimmy Carter era. Yeah. Because he was a big peanut farmer. That's right. That's right. Well. Back in the 70s. You know, the more we talk about you, the more I know about you. <laughs> it's just, it's amazing. All right. So before we switch to television shows for a bit, I do want to talk about Last Man Standing. That's another one of those uh, shoot 'em ups that relaxes me. I don't know. <laughs> I've seen it so many times. But I love your scenes in it. I love your scenes in it and the character you create in the midst of... Yeah, I have of... two scenes uh, with uh, Bruce Willis and I. Yes, yes. They they were going to pay me a certain amount for, you know, per day, uh, and then they came back and reduced it. With The reason they reduced uh, my price is they said, well, we have to pay Bruce Willis $16 million. Oh, God. That was their excuse for reducing <laughs> my pay. <laughs> Gee. That's what my agent told me anyway. Yeah. Well, I don't know that I'd like to know that. <laughs> Not Because I thought you were fabulous. I mean, I like Bruce Willis. Don't get me wrong. I do. But I watched the movie to see you. I mean, there's some great characters in it, and you certainly are one of them. And I, I mentioned this a little earlier, too, that I think one of the things uh, that I've always been told from character actors and, and have told character actors myself as a director is that you want to be so good that we want you back but at the same time you have to be so good that you blend in because you are real you, you, you come across as a real person in the film as opposed to an actor in the film and I think you do that all the time what are your thoughts on that? Well I always wanted to stand out <laughs> <laughs> I uh, would uh, study my lines and my part as if uh, the movie was about me and I was the lead in it. <laughs> mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. 
gotcha. I gotcha. All right. On to television. Now, I don't watch a lot of television, I must admit, uh, but things like uh, Studio 60 and The West Wing, of course, are major, just absolutely some of the best television ever made. Start with Deadwood in 2004, which I think would have been a, a natural for you, but tell us about what you did there and what character. Walter Hill directed Walter Hill. the uh, pilot, Walter Hill. Yes. And he put me, I had done uh, two movies with Walter Hill, Johnny Handsome and Unknown, and uh, he cast me in the pilot and with the idea that I would be a regular mm-hmm. uh, in the community there mm-hmm. and have you know, a recurring part in the Deadwood. But, uh, and so I did the pilot, but then uh, they, uh, uh, I got this uh, Jim of the Ocean uh, with August Wilson, and uh-huh. they started uh, the show in Chicago at the Goodman Theater. And so I chose that instead of staying in uh, California and doing Deadwood. So I went on, you know, on the road with uh, Jim of the Ocean and uh, took it into Broadway. There you go. I think you so made a great choice. Was, uh, I didn't get a chance to be a semi-recurring role on Deadwood. Mm. Do you prefer? Um, I mean, do you prefer theater to filmmaking? Well, I, I prefer the camaraderie of theater, of course, and. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, the whole performing before a live audience, but then again, there are no residuals in theater. It's <laughs> the problem. Yes. That's a good point. Yes, I'm getting residuals from movies I did in the '70s. I you know, know. Just, you know, small amounts, but in fact, I got a, a residual check for two cents the other day, <laughs> and they took out a penny in federal tax. Oh my God. That's so funny. I was proud that I had made the 50% tax bracket. <laughs> you know, I've never gotten one as small as two cents, I must admit, but I've gotten some pretty small ones still coming from the soaps when I did soaps, and I don't think I've done, I don't think I've been on a soap since 1995, I don't think. Oh, which ones? Um, well, the the one that I was on the longest was Another World, uh, NBC. I did Another World. Yeah? When were you on? I did Another World. I did All My Children. I did Me One too. Life to Live. I Me did The Guiding Light. I did them all. Okay. Well, I didn't do them all, but I did three that you mentioned. Another World, like I said, it was 10 years. And and then I was on um, All My Children. And what was the other one? Loving for a little bit. and One other, I, I don't remember. But, you know, those were all very lucrative. And, and then I, when I became a recurring character on Another World, that was exciting and all. I'm still in touch with my NBC bosses. I mean, they're just great people, and they send me guests all the time. You should be on Marcello's show. Anyway, how about Law & Order for you, 2007? Oh, it was uh, a wonderful experience, you know, uh, working with Jerry Orbach. Yes. It was, I think, his last season. He had uh, gotten sick and uh, passed away not long after that. Uh. But uh, I had scenes with Jerry Orbach, and uh, that was uh, one of, uh, a wonderful experience. Yeah. You know, now I've, I've saved for me, the best is the last, West Wing. It's, a, it's a, a show that, I mean, I've worked with March and Sheen way back when, and so there's that level of, of appreciation. But it is also, um, I'm very much interested in politics, and especially presidential politics. It was exceptionally well written and, and believable in every sense, and and of course, it was on air during nine eleven attacks. I mean, West Wing was an amazing achievement, and out of all of the tremendous work from everybody that was involved in it—writers, directors, actors, 
the one show maybe nine the nine eleven show uh was is right up there it's a close second if not equally but the 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 episode was entitled in excelsis deo and, and you, that's one they sent to the networks for consideration for emmy award for you know the best yes show and uh, i believe it won yes that year yes and it was a, just a hard, very moving uh episode absolutely tell us about it you were in it i wasn't i got to watch it but you were in it Tell us about it. Yeah, I played uh, a homeless guy. It was homeless people under a bridge up there in Washington, D.C. And, uh, uh, you know, I took the train down uh, from New York, and they put me up, and we went over there and filmed it uh, one night. And a friend of mine played uh, the other homeless guy there, and uh, I think my scenes were with the character playing Toby. Yes, yes. And and, uh, it was, uh, you know, we filmed late, you know, into the late night. Mm -hmm. It was cold, and uh, we filmed... It was, uh, I forgot, I think it was early spring, maybe. It was. I remember it being cold. Yeah, it and, was. Uh, uh-huh. had a had a, a good time and filmed it and got on the train and came back to New York. <laughs> well, you know, it um, it carried a lot more magic than than um, than a short period of time and a round trip, a, a train trip. It just impacted. Uh, I think so many people, I've heard so many people speak about this specific episode and about your scene with Toby, the character Toby. And for those who haven't seen it, I'm not going to tell you everything, but of course, my guest can tell us anything he wants. But it is, as Rayner says, it was extremely emotional. It was about sacrifice. And, And not only the sacrifice that we, you know, we see on television that we know sort of takes place, but the sacrifice of the veterans who come back and are still making sacrifices. You want to jump in and add anything to that, Rainer? How did it in, impact on you, the script itself? Well, I've seen it many times, and it, it never fails to bring a tear to my eye. Yes. It's, a, it's, it's so well written and done that uh, I'm just proud to be a part of it. Yes, yes. Uh, it was, um, I think, what has been challenging uh, for most of us in the business. I mean, I was lucky. I just finished some work in New York and and had, uh, had was scheduled to come back to Virginia to direct a, a series of videos. So I was actually in Charlottesville, Virginia, doing the first of several. When March 11th, 2020, I said to the cast and crew, you know, we're not going to be able to do another one right away because this thing that's coming is is coming and we're going to have to start taking it seriously. And that was the last thing I did until this March. And um, we started production again. But how, how we, we even for us both being indirectly impacted mostly, but there's so many in our business, I mean, all of Broadway being closed for Pete's sake, so much was lost and it's the, generally the arts that help us through tough times and when the arts have have to stop and go in lockdown what, what do we do uh rainer what 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 do people do when we don't have the arts they go to the well they go to the red box <laughs> and, <laughs> and rent older movies yes i know i have watched so many i mean i own so many videos anyway um uh, dvds that uh back when you know it was the thing to buy them all but i don't regret buying so many because i do go back and and watch them over and over and over again 
and just to study the work sometime. You'd watch it the first time to, to enjoy it, but after that you watch it to learn from it, I think. What do you think? Uh, well, we invested in Netflix. Yes, we do. Yeah. Once the pandemic started, and the uh, first thing we did, of course, was watch Tiger King. Yeah. And then uh, uh, The Queen's Gambit, and we've, uh, we've seen a whole lot of good things on, uh, yeah. on Netflix. Netflix has really been the saving thing here, and now they're casting as well, so things are opening up again. But definitely The Queen's uh, Gambit and, and The Crown. I love The Crown as well. I mean, they're marvelous things. All right. Rainer, I, I so appreciate your time today, and, and I don't want to keep you much longer, but I would like, if there's any closing comments, anything you'd like us to take away from you and your personal life and your career, and uh, what kind of message do you want to leave uh, with us about uh, the way you see things in general? Well, just be positive. There you go. Okay, I got you. All right, so everything's happy down your way and fulfilling these days in retirement? Absolutely, waiting for the tomatoes to come in and the, the broccoli to come in. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. My and, wife's into that, too. She has quite a garden. And walking the dog twice a day. There you go. All you right, got to walk the dog. Yeah. That, uh, you know, and that very simple act, by the way, brings a great deal of, uh, well, first of all, they love it. <laughs> and they and they love being with you, and when you when you do that, it clears your head, and you really do get to think the way we need to think. There's so much bombarding us on television, and um, that's negative. That when you can walk a dog and just be alone, the two of you, it just um, I I feel it just allows you to recenter. What do you think? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. All right. Rainer, I'm going to let you go. You've been so generous with your time and your career. has been a marvel for me and everyone who sees your work, and I'm going to make certain they... What, what do you want people to go out and see of yours if they haven't seen it? Oh, right. mm, I, you know, I, I don't care how long <laughs> they watch them. <laughs> all right then, Rainer. You take care. Enjoy Richmond and all the places you see and all the things you do from now on as well as you have in the past, okay? Thank you, Rainer. Take care. All right. God bless. Bye-bye. Bye. Hi, I'm Marcello Rolando of Rolando and Dresner Productions, introducing our new musical dramedy, A Little Place Called Earth, book by Marcello Rolando and music and lyrics by Larry Dresner. And here, from A Little Place Called Earth, is It Will All Work Out, music and lyrics by Larry Dresner. With the sun around me Then I felt a raindrop And the skies were suddenly all cloudy Now here I'm standing In the rain, no umbrella No overcoat, no money Sometimes forced to sing in a cappella Before you lose your temper And your mind gets in a flurry Just tell yourself Never cry and never, never worry It'll all work out It can't rain forever It'll all work out Somehow for the better If you just keep hanging on There'll always be another chance To reach that grass ring No matter
start singing A refrain soft and mellow A big loud band comes marching And the tuba fella starts to bellow I don't know what to do now Everything's gone crazy I don't know where to go now Cause my dream has gotten dim and hazy Sometimes you're dealt a bad hand But you keep on playing I know you're not a quitter Listen now to what I'm saying It'll all work out It can't rain forever It'll all work out somehow For the better if you just keep hanging on There'll always be another chance To reach that brass ring No matter what the weather You can always sing and sing and sing and sing It'll all work out It can't rain forever It'll all work out somehow For the better if you just keep hanging on For more information, listen to our Rolando and Dresner Productions podcast on Marcello Rolando's YouTube channel. Thank you, and join us online, on stage, and on Earth. I'm Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice, thanking you for joining us and becoming one of the reasonable voices heard round the world. Perhaps it's time we re-evaluate the gods we worship. If we believe timing of Facebook's recent global disappearance wasn't whistle-blowing ads and fans in the wind reaction, we might be following the followers of gods taking America's down escalator to infraction. If we don't get the Washington spirit on K Street, 1 First Street Southeast, and 1 First Street Northeast truth decay, we might be the welcome mat for older white men preying on younger females, denied a supervisory protective structure to keep predators at bay. If we are shocked, shocked to find that tax evasion is going on in the realm of billionaires, we might be a violent fool's errand boys assaulting election certification and constitution to prove we have a pair. If we are in favor of restricting voting rights for any Americans, we might be genuflecting at the altar of wannabe dictatorial religious bands. If we choose horse and cow medicine over anti-COVID vaccines, we might just be faithful to misinformation machines. If we think billionaire owners of fossil fuel companies and their too-big-to-fail 2008 Great Recession give a damn about us, we might be as blindsided as the Trump already thrown under the bus. If we no longer trust our news media, have lost faith in all levels of government, we might be prime clueless conservative pawns sacrificed as Mitch McConnell's playing chicken armament. If we are addicted to social media followers, likes from people we don't even know, and climate change denial, we might be too preoccupied to grant full citizenship to some as essential. If we think most MIA females snatched from family existence look like Gabby Petito, we might be accomplices after these facts. More Native Americans, Latino Americans, African Americans, and Asian Americans have been disappeared by such violent acts. If we are laissez-faire regarding what happens to Americans of color under police care, we might be a burning crosses rerun paying it backward, forgetting silence is consent on a dare. 
If we are tickled pink by a West Virginia senator, cloning Pomeranian Twister, projecting his gridlock aiding and abetting onto McConnell and Schumer, misters, we might be accessories on merry-go-round for faux debt-sealing mixers. If we believe life insurance is not a bet that we won't die, and health insurance a Medicare inhibitor if we try, we may be a pig in a poke due to America's health insurance accountability is a joke. If we believe child abuse comes only by the hands of Catholic priests, Weinstein's casting couch, or an invisible Roy Moore jury, we may be missing the bigger picture of crucial race theory. If we had only paid African Americans a livable wage to slave for Caucasians, we might be wise to the antebellum South's whipping post persuasion couldn't, without human labor, ever rise to any occasion. If we believe a school fight automatically ends in gun violence when there is no gun immediately available to interrupt parlance, we might be suckling on the short-sighted shooter of an NRA dalliance. If we assume it was good to pay 5.8 trillion tax dollars for Bush-Cheney lying us into Afghanistan, but call 3.5 trillion for providing ignored human necessities a national entitlements plan, we might be adrift on an almost-heaven Republican clan. If we publicly plead for saving West Virginia's Dollar Tree store, we might be less of an obvious opportunistic hypocrite if— we knew the correct name of the store before our photo op bit. If we travel to Mount Airy, North Carolina, looking for a reality in a Mayberry fantasy tour bus ride, we may be the rising reincarnation of the godless society of whites only, Southern Pride. If we think overloaded cargo ships backed up off California shore and New York port, stalling the global supply chain is no danger signal proof, we might be oblivious to an inconvenient truth. If we believe Exxon and partners in greed didn't really know, we might need George C. Scott in the formula with Marlon Brando before Mother Nature reaps what we sow. If we think 38 million hungry, 50,000 opiate overdoses, and over 713,000 COVID deaths in America is a hoax, we might be the bottom line, punchline, for those for whom hard-working Americans are merely jokes. If we think corporatism's social media platforms' algorithms aren't mind-shaping us for profit, we might be the misinformed attacking government institutions believing in Giuliani's secret docket. If we think pizza pedophiles are more authentic than constitutional rights to peacefully disagree, we might be the flag-waving Asian-attacking democracy-stealing pawns, subpoena-ignorers, and Bible-photo-opportunists needed to cancel the land of the free. If we believe America cannot be disappeared unless we the people worship false prophets, we might be the gods of America's true infrastructure, children, who are democracy's comet. Thank you, and join us. Become one of the reasonable voices. Heard round the world.
Thank you for continuing to listen to, support, and share the Reasonable Voice Blog Talk Radio with family and friends, especially online. We enjoy hearing from you, and in response, yes, we are now accepting new company and business advertisers and welcoming organizations seeking to be one of our sponsors. So please do continue to email us at thereasonablevoice at gmail.com. However, if you prefer to simply make a donation, your donations are greatly appreciated and can be made through PayPal by clicking on the donate button found at the top of the homepage of the Reasonable Voice. Website. Thank you for joining us today to make every day as reasonable as possible. We hope you will download and share our downloadable podcasts. I'm Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice, hoping you will become one of the reasonable voices heard around the world.